This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the show. At the time of recording, um, it's the new year, so I hope you've had a great holiday season and are ready to get back to it and you've set your goals high for the new year. But in today's show, I sit down with uh, Dave Seymour and he is, if you remember um, the Flipping Boston show back 10 or 15 years ago, he was the star of that show. And he's a real funny guy and has a lot of wisdom and knowledge to share about not just flipping, but in this episode, we specifically talk about managing contractors. So there's a lot of good tidbits on this episode. If you are struggling in that area of real estate, it's been a tricky time for contractors, materials, uh, finding help post-COVID. And so this is uh, episode for me, it came at a great time and I took a lot of good things away from this one. But before all that, as you know, here's today's golden nugget of the day. Today's golden nugget is, and this hits especially home for me, is um, make sure your tenants winterize the home properly. So what I did um, before it got super cold out, and I live in Missouri, so it may not be super cold where you are. Maybe you live in Texas or Florida, but at least for us that live in the colder climates during the winter, um, what I did is I sent out a notice to all my tenants and just saying, unplug or unscrew the hoses on the outside spigots, You know, make sure the house is heated up to 60 degrees, make sure to leave some dripping water in the faucet if you are going to be on vacation and so forth. So I think that's something that gets ignored a lot and it can prevent a lot of future headaches and repairs, you know, pipes bursting. And if you just make that, just alert the tenant that, you know, winter is upon us and there are going to be these cold seasons. So what I do is send that sometime in, you know, December or November. And then, but obviously if you haven't done it yet this season, go ahead and do that, especially if you know a, a really chilly day is coming up, but that'll prevent a lot of you know, maintenance calls, hopefully, of course, they don't have to do what you say. But if it prevents one or two maintenance calls, I think it's worth it. So just an email letting them know that 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 would be my golden nugget of the day. So without further ado, here is my episode interview with Dave Seymour from Flipping Boston. And we're talking all about how to manage contractors. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show, Dave. How's it going? It's going well, Dalen. How are you, brother? Fantastic. I'm glad to have you on. A lot of people know you from the Flipping Boston TV show. And uh, obviously your work you're doing now is more for sophisticated investors and raising capital and those sorts of things. So first, I like to always dive into when was your aha moment in real estate? We can talk about your background later, but when was the aha moment where the lights clicked on for you about real estate? Yeah, that's a great question, man. You know what it was? It was the day I made my first real check in real estate, and it was for $5,000 on a wholesale transaction. Now, you got a picture of a dark, cold, rainy night, about 5.30 in Boston, right? I've wholesaled the real estate deal. I stepped out of this, this office, and I got a check in my hand, and it's for $5,000. And I looked at the check, right? All misty and cold and moist on an October evening. I looked at this check and for a moment, I thought to myself, dear Lord, how many hours that I traded in my life for somebody else's money, right? How much time 
had I spent in my past to make a, a $5,000 income. And I quickly did a mathematical run through my head. And I figured out I probably spent literally on that one deal anywhere between maybe three hours, right? Mm-hmm. So I figured from that day forward, I was worth at least $1,500 $1, an hour, if not a little bit more. So this better be a quick show because I'm going to be sending you a bill for a couple of grand <laughs> if you're not careful. <laughs> but no, seriously, that was it, man. It was like real estate was a vehicle that uh, could get me out of where I was. And more importantly, it could accelerate where I wanted to be. So that was it, man. The day I made five grand, I, ca- I actually gave that check a name, Dalen. I called it a shut up check. And it was the check that I showed to everybody who said I couldn't do this real estate gig. I showed him the check and I said, shut up. I said, <laughs> shut, shut up, up. check. Right? There was a lady in, in, uh, in, in the South. I was presenting at a, an event or something. And she said to me, uh, she said, we don't call it a, we don't call it a shut up check. We call it a bless your heart check. Mm. That's what we say. We say, bless your heart, child. I said, but it basically means shut up. Stop giving me your opinion. She said, absolutely. It's just nicer. <laughs> so if you're down South, it's a shut up check. If you're in New York or Boston, it's a, uh, um, you know, uh, I can do this check. So yeah, that was it. That's a little more polite way to put it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I'm not, I'm not known for being polite. Yeah. Well, I, that's it's so cool, but that's how a lot of people start. You know, they start in wholesaling to get that first check. Generally what I found out, it takes a lot of time to get that first. And then mm. it just, it snowballs from there. So did you, did you kind of snowball from there or was it slow going for a while? After? Yeah. Look, man, I, I ended up being a, a student in a seminar. If you've ever listened to those radio commercials or you've been on social media and there's some clown or another is going to be prancing around the country trying to sell you 35, 40, $50,000 real estate investment training packages. And uh, I was that guy who went in and did that. So I, I came out of, out of my classes uneducated, but inspired, mm. uneducated, but motivated. I think, I think the real education came, came on the street. Um, you know, I was trading at that time about 120 hours a week for somebody else. I had three full-time jobs. I was a firefighter and a paramedic. I worked construction on my days off and on my nights and weekends, I worked retail security. Uh, I was a, an illiterate donkey is what I, I really, how I put it. I, I didn't understand money. I didn't, I, I just didn't understand anything, debt, credit cards, nothing. And um, I needed to, to make a dramatic change. And I knew real estate was the vehicle. So I, uh, if there's one thing about me and my DNA is if I set a goal and a target, I'm going to hit it. I'm going to hit it. I, I will accomplish what I set out to accomplish. It's kind of like the firefighter mentality. So for me, I think I was on an accelerated course, if you will. Uh, just because of the way I personally operated. And, um, you know, I started seeing results of my my implementation of, of the basics. Um, you know, I wasn't overly educated coming out of classes, but I knew the fundamentals. I knew how to analyze a deal pretty quickly. I knew what was a good deal and what wasn't. I didn't squeeze deals. So I made a ton of offers, man. You know, it's it's these uh, these students who get stuck in analysis and never pull the trigger and make an offer. And then they wonder why it doesn't work but it doesn't work because you didn't do anything. I don't care what you know. I care about what you do. And um, I was a doer rather than a knower. So I probably started getting some results within, I would say, six to eight months of uh, that first seminar uh, experience that I had. And then then it was just on like Donkey Kong. Because once you make that check, 
There's nobody on the face of the earth can tell you you can't do it, right? You show them the mm -hmm. bless your heart check or the shut up check, depending on where you're coming from, you know? Yeah. So that was that was my journey. It was, um, you know, it was almost vicious. Like I, I talk about business as being, it's not polite. It's aggressive. And I guess I have that aggressive DNA, a sports background, stuff like that. Firefighting background puts me in a position to conquer rather than crumble, you know? So that yeah. was my journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit her right on the head there and you have a great, great background. Now I would say, you know, there's three things you need to be successful. You, you need these three things. You need a coach, like you had the seminar, sure. you need a desire. You had that fire in your belly to just do something different. And then you need the action. So sure. you had those three components and then you were hit the ground running. Was it the, can you draw it back to like that seminar that made you successful? I mean, would you, would you recommend people go sign up for those radio show? Ooh, look, man, it's, you know what I did that day? I bought $27,000 worth of accountability is what I bought. Yeah. All right. To thine own self be true. Three o'clock in the morning is usually when we're the most honest with ourselves, right? Everything else is just bullshit. It really is. It's, you know, it's, it's external opinion, internal dialogue. Um, it's the, the consistent running around um, inside your own brain and, you know, wanting more, but doing less. So, you know, for me, I got $27,000 worth of accountability. I, uh, I was blessed to, to share a stage a few years back up in Canada. Tony Robbins was the main draw. 16,000 people and I'm up there, you know, MC and I'm running around and sharing the, sharing the good word. And um, I remember Robbins got up there and he said, massive passion, massive action, massive results, mm -hmm. massive passion, action and results. And then when you reverse engineer that and dial it back into the simplicity, it's like there is no such thing as a self-made millionaire or millionaires. It's a team effort. Mm -hmm. Do what somebody else is doing who's successful. Make sure that your coach and your mentor is doing what you want to do, not just teaching you something that they read in a book or they learned from somebody else. So um, I looked for those people in the marketplace. And, you know, it, it's interesting, man. When I, when I think back and I look back at it and I think about my career in the firehouse, it's the same thing, brother. You don't go running into a burning building on your own the first day that you put on your helmet and your boots and you go, oh, look at me. I'm all grown up. I'm a firefighter. No, you go to an academy, right? You get in shape. You learn fire science. You learn um, hazardous materials. And then they, they assign you to some crusty old fart who's been doing firefighting for 30 plus years who won't let you die, right? You don't follow the cowards who are just working for the fire department rather than being firefighters. You work the downtown men among men, right? That's who you follow. And it's, a, it's the same thing in this business. Uh, there's a lot of talkers in real estate. Uh, there's a smaller amount of doers and, um, you know, being around the doers and the implementers is, was absolutely a, a strategic decision I made very early on, uh, and then found what value I had and bought it to them. And it's not money. Money's everywhere. Money is not that impressive. Trust me. There's a ton of it in the market right now. So it was, you know, what did I have? I had passion commitment. I had a little construction background. I was a firefighter. I knew the local city. So I brought all of those skills to the marketplace and then learned how to monetize them. So, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely those components, the way you described them were a, uh, a huge factor in the success that I had and continued to have. Yeah. When it comes to coaching and courses and things like that, I prioritize or I 
I view more highly in those mastermind groups, those living communities where you can learn. It's not just a set of videos they just release you to. It's a living community and they're constantly releasing content. You're learning how to give back to the community there. So I would say to folks, if they're interested in some coaching, maybe look for a mastermind group versus just a set of videos that, because, you know, content without reinforcement usually ends to no action, but content with reinforcement and a community around it generally pushes you to action. So that's awesome. Do you have anything else? It's the word accountability. That's right. It's the word accountability, brother. It's a dirty word. It's a dirty word. For some reason, it's okay to just put your hand out and receive. Uh Uh, But, you know, in in business and and in entrepreneurship and real estate, it has to have accountability. It's got to have some teeth to it. If it doesn't have any teeth, forget it. Just keep on moving, you know? Sure, sure. So you were a firefighter for several years. And so what made you, I mean, obviously we know your wholesale check. Did that lead you right into flipping and buying holds or did you do wholesaling for a while or what was your yeah look people always say when i start out i'm going to be a wholesaler well they're sold on this wholesaling concept because it's sold to them as easy and it's not um to be an excellent wholesaler you need to be a fantastic flipper and what i mean by that is is if you don't understand your numbers if you don't understand the cost of construction soft cost carrying cost cost of capital insurance timelines um, you know, if you're not working with any um, contingencies in your numbers, then you're a clown, right? You're a clown. You put a deal, you put a numbers in front of a guy like me. And if the numbers aren't real, I'm going to laugh you off the stage and you're not going to get a second shot to come back with an opportunity to do a deal again. So wholesaling in and of itself is the foundation for everything else. It's understanding all the numbers, the variables, the timelines, et cetera, like I said. So, you know, I took that 5,000, paid off some debt, rolled it into the next deal, into the next deal, then did my first buy, fix, and flip deal. And, um, you know, in 2008, nine when I started, we had plenty of inventory, man. We had plenty of properties that we could work with because they were all abandoned and they were taken by the banks. So, mm-hmm. you know, I became known as uh, one of the experts in the state of Massachusetts for uh, distressed asset investing. Mm-hmm. partnered up with uh, Martha Coakley's office, who was the attorney general here at the time. And, um, you know, that just poured credibility and capital onto the process and worked my way up, held my own portfolio, buy and hold properties. Um, loved the idea of somebody else going to work and paying down my debt on my <laughs> property. Uh, a little bit left over for me at the end of every month. And I started to live that that dream, if you will, or that concept of money working for me instead of me working for money. And once once that happened, then then it's then it's a uh, it's a definitely an eye opening experience for a blue collar guy like me to have checks in the mail, right? Which is really what we're looking for, right? We're looking for residual income, passive income, and uh, you know it just uh, just kept on rolling from there, man. Yeah, I love the idea of if you have ten rentals, you have ten people that are waking up each day going to work for you to chip away yep. at your equity and your yep. cash flow. So it's, a, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, talk about, you know, what, cause I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who are, who follow you are those flippers. Cause they, they learned about you from the flipping Boston mm. reality TV mm. show. So explain, I mean, b- beyond the veil, beyond the, you know, the facade of like everything goes well on yeah. TV. What are the pitfalls that somebody who's interested in fixing and flipping would come across and how do you overcome those? Yeah, look, you can overcome everything. All right. I would be doing you and your listeners a disservice to say, uh, you know, that you can overcome everything. You can't. 
So, you know, real estate investing is about controlling the variables. Mm-hmm. Um, the variables that, that usually sink a deal are um, the, <laughs> I'm going to upset some people, but I don't care, are the realtors who oversell you the deal. They'll tell you that if you just do X, Y, Z to the property, you can sell it for, for X, Y, Z. And yet they're never prepared to put their own money down on the deal, right? Um, so one of the, one of the variables that, that I always had a massive amount of control around was my after repair value. Mm. I would walk a lot of assets early in my career so I knew exactly what the market was, what was selling, what wasn't, what finishes I needed to put into these properties. I'd take my after repair value and I'd dial it back. I'd be ultra conservative. I'd walk away from 99 deals to do one. Uh, the other variable that's, that, that can sink you in a heartbeat is lack of construction knowledge and not having a good construction team around you. And that can be the hardest part. So maybe you vet and you uh, invest with your contractor. Maybe you incentivize them, right? You make it feel like it's their property as much as it is yours. Um, that's one of the things that I did early in my career, and it, and it helped, right? Look, I made less. But I would much rather make a little of a lot than a lot of a little. That's important, right? And let everybody feel great about the project that they're going to. Because at the end of the day, if that contractor doesn't see a paycheck on your property, he or she's going to go somewhere else. I promise you. And fundamentally, uh, to, to really take the whole thing down to its base level, nobody, nobody will care more about your property than you do. So never assume anything in a flip. Don't assume that you're going to get a hard money lender who feels good about you and your project. Mm -hmm. There's hard money lenders out there that work on what's called a loan to own program, where they'll put you so deep in a hole right out of the gate because all they want to do is take over the property from you anyway, right? So being aware of the, the predators in the marketplace, both from a real estate broker standpoint, a contractor standpoint, a money standpoint, and then take some pride in the product that you put out there. Do it right. Do it by the numbers. Get yourself a really good reputation with the local cities and towns and municipalities with which you work. Because if you are not a friend with your city, if you try to cut a corner, if you try to be a clown, a donkey, uh, they will very, very quickly know who you are and they will make your life miserable. So it's not a hobby. Okay. It's a business. Treat it like a business and not like a hobby. If you want a hobby, go build some model planes or something. But if you want a real business and grow some finances, then then do it the right way. Does that make sense? Yeah, the point on the city is super important. I mean, they could shut you down in a moment's notice. So making mm-hmm. sure you get the right permits and you're following the guidelines, getting inspections, things like that. On sure. the point you made about having your team invested, I know one of uh, one of my colleagues told me, so he, he sets a, di- a deadline for the project. He said, okay you know, Joe, the contractor, what's a generous time frame to, to put on this deal? And how, like, how much time do you need, uh, but be mm. generous. And so he gets that timeline. He says, okay, if you can do it a week sooner, I'll give you 10% more on top of the, the pie. If mm. you are slow a week, I'll take away 10% off the contract price. Yeah. That, and yeah. that's just a way that I've been able to hold my contractors accountable. Like you said, right. what are some other ways to keep your team specifically, maybe contractors invested in that project to do those repeat deals? Cause we don't want to have to find a new contractor every three or four months. Yeah. Great question. Look, man, pay them often, pay them early, pay them on time, often early and on time. You've got to remember that that GC, that contractor, at the end of every week, he's got a bunch of guys and girls with their hand out 
who want to get paid to feed their families and pay their bills. Mm -hmm. So if they're chasing you for capital, for work that's been done, then it's not good. Now, that being said, don't ever, ever let them get ahead of you, ever, right? If you let a GC get ahead of you, that's nothing but heartache and headache because at the end of the day, they're spending that money with or without your permission. Be really concise with your contracts and your construction draws. The guy says, oh, just send me the check. You know, it'll be done on Friday. No, mm. let's meet Friday and I'll have a check with me. Do you want a bank check so that you know that it's going to go through immediately? Joe? Yes, please, Dave. Awesome, Joe. I'll see you there. Oh, by the way, I'll be there at lunchtime. Do the guys like cheese pizza, a couple of, couple of Cokes or something? Would that work out? I'll buy them lunch when I get there. I bought more favors with six cheese pizzas and, and a couple of liters of Coke uh, than I have with anything else. Never, ever, ever, ever think of yourself as superior to that crew on site. I don't give a crap who you are. I don't care. I don't care if you've got $20 million in the bank. When you walk onto that job site, everybody is equal. You treat them fair. You treat them with, with respect. And, you, and you, you appreciate what they do because at the end of the day, they're the guys that are making you the money. Right. Mm. So that's that's one of the lessons that I, I look, man, it was in my DNA to be that way anyway, because I, I came from a construction background. So I never I never forgot what it felt like to be demeaned in some way or another because I had to sweep up at the end of the day, you know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, those are definitely ways to keep everybody um, concise on these projects. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. I know what somebody's going to say out there is that, well, what if you're doing this remotely? So did you have any experience in doing any of this remotely? And, and how did you yeah. manage that? Yeah, I, I've done a couple of deals remotely, small single family properties. I've done them through investing through my own self-retirement accounts, um, did a couple of single family projects in the Florida market when I was living up here in the Boston market. Um, you know, you, you do your due diligence. I worked with a company that had a model, if you will, for exactly that, being able to service remote investors so that the capital could go in. You know, I did a couple of them. One was good. One wasn't. You know, today, I'm at such a different place in my business at the commercial side where I'm doing, you know, $24 million multifamily ground up construction that contractor relationship long distance is a lot different. I mean, I've got bonded contractors, vested contractors. These are national general contracting companies that come in, you know, that have 15% OH&P on their line items. It's just, it's a different world altogether, but it's due diligence, man. It's due diligence. Don't send a check somewhere to somebody you've never met. And dear Lord, we've got, we got Zoom now. You can, you can send somebody out on a Zoom call, right? You can really figure it out. You've got an inert compass inside every one of us. Pay attention to your gut, right? Um, but, but yeah, look, you can use systems, automate it with, with video. Uh, I want to see a video before. I want to see a video after the windows have gone in, right? Okay, the windows are in. Here comes a check. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to see the kitchen cabinets on site. I want to see them being installed. Okay, good. Now I'll pay for the kitchen cabinets. So that kind of process, we've got so much technology today to support it. Um, you know, just, um, just create a system if, it, if there isn't one that you could just walk into, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one thing I'm struggling with right now, maybe you can help, and I'm sure other people have struggled with this, is that when you start a job, right? So how do you get that initial scope of work going? How do you uh, outline that and make sure that your contractor's on the same page with everything that needs to be done? Are you doing like a room-by-room -room scope of work, or are you doing an all-encompassing scope of work? What does that look like? 
Yeah, do it room by room. Don't be lazy. Put the work in. You know, even if you're going to do it with a, with a, you know, a camera and a video uh, to start off with, uh, do it room by room. Um, look, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to work remotely. As your business grows and your network grows, referrals are going to be key. You know, you're in, you're in Wisconsin and you want to do a deal in Fort Myers, Florida. Well, guess what? You're going to call me now because you got a relationship with a guy who's got teams on the ground in Fort Myers, Florida. But um Having a decent scope of work, a line item scope of work, room by room with plans is important. That's the work that we do as the investor. Remember I said to you earlier, nobody gives a crap about your building more than you do. They'll cut corners. They'll make assumptions if you don't give them clear, detailed directions. So it's important to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so on the payment schedule, how, when you were doing your flipping, how did you manage the, the payment? Did you do like a, a draw once this piece of work was done or... Or how did that look like? Yeah, business? do it on a construction drawer, just the same way a bank would. Sure. Meet, meet this benchmark, you get paid. Meet this, meet this benchmark, you get paid. And it was, you know, some of my deals earlier on, as I was building teams, I might have eight to 10 draw schedules, you know? It's usually demolition, mm-hmm. framing, rough electrical, rough plumbing, inspections, insulation, inspection, board up, inspection, final electrical, final plumbing, final um, build. And then um, once I've got my occupancy permits, that's when the final final check will go out. So it's not complicated, but uh, it's like I said, you don't let them get ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great from the contractor point of view, because they're not looking at this big job. Okay. I have to give them a number for all of this. No, let's go room by room, piece by mm-hmm. piece. And then mm-hmm. he knows he's, he or she knows they're getting paid throughout mm-hmm. the process. And mm-hmm. so they're, mm-hmm. yeah, because you're right, you know, for a contractor, their biggest expense is their labor, their weekly labor. Sure. And so if you sure. can take care of that and make sure that, because uh, really when a contractor's, you know, onto you about money, they're probably onto you just because they're getting pressure from their employees. Hey, we got to get paid sure. this week. And sure. so it's, it's a constant battle for them. And I would hate to be in their shoes because it is that constant battle, getting money here, going here. But um, it's what they need. And, and so we're providing them work. And, and if we can be as upfront and honest as possible and on time, on time, like you said, as possible, then we're going to get repeat business with them. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. So I want to shift gears uh, in the last portion of our show and talk about kind of what you're doing now and then maybe some market analysis. How about that? <laughs> market analysis. <laughs> Let me call my analysis team. Um, what are we doing now? Look, man, we had this thing that kind of popped up out of nowhere, this, this, you know, six-headed dragon called COVID. And, um, you know, it created quite a bit of chaos. And, you know, one one person's chaos is another person's opportunity. And, um, you know, after the TV show, I've been very blessed to have, uh, it's funny, I, I make fun of the of the seminar world, but, you know, I, I was, I've been teaching nationally for many, many years. And as a result of that, I got to know the very best people in markets all across the country. And um, when COVID hit, um, a real good friend of mine, super experienced investor gentleman by the name of Walter Novicki, based in Fort Myers, uh, Cape Coral area, Florida. Uh, we got on the phone, we had a little kibitz and he's like, you know, I think there's an opportunity here with, with COVID to really, like I'm 55, he's 57. The next 20 years is our chance to either get it right or, or really get it wrong, right? So we're going out in style. And he said, let's, let's parlay up. We'll leverage off the TV show and the personality piece, he said, and then we'll put the infrastructure together to buy as many um, multifamily complexes as we can 
which has uh, been a real big part of, of Walter's strategy for the past 25 years, either buying existing structures or building existing uh, structures ground up for, um, for buying, uh, buy and hold. So that's what we did. We put together a, a private placement memorandum. It's a 506C Reg D fund, $100 million, and went out and went into the market, raised money, and started doing business. It was interesting. When we initially entered the market, the cap rates uh, were nowhere near where they are today. And for those of you who don't understand a cap rate, it's an expected return on investment on an acquisition. So if it's a six cap at any market, it's anticipated to be a 6% return. We could buy properties at a six cap and work the asset, increase the uh, income, you know, be able to pay our investors targeted 8 to 10% cash on cash returns, which is a lot better than you're getting in your savings account or even in the stock market. Uh, but then the compression of the cap rate came in with all the, um, all the, uh, the free money. Thank you, President Biden. And President Trump for that. We appreciate it. I like my $333 check coming every week, uh, every month, because I have children. Much appreciated. But anyway, the free money came into the marketplace. And for us, uh, being boutique and nimble, we were able to pivot over to ground up construction because now I can hit those return numbers for my investors. So what we're doing right now is, is I have on my whiteboard $250 million worth of real estate in the pipeline. Uh, we're cutting dirt um, very soon on a 106-unit apartment complex that we're building. Simultaneously, we're building our headquarters in um, Fort Myers. It's uh, an office complex, 16,500 square feet. And right behind that is approximately 600 single-family built-for-rent homes uh, in the Cape Coral and Fort Myers area. So what I do today is talk to investors and raise a ton of capital put that capital to work at targeted double digit returns. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to debt partners and uh, hard money lenders who write checks in the five to $10 million range. So that's always interesting because I, I ran a hard money lending business. So when they start throwing all the junk fees at me, we get a, we get a little heated once in a while, you know what I mean? But uh, that's where we're at today. We're operating in a different sandbox from where I started 15 years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's much different sandbox. And we don't even have time to dig into like how you got there, but I just wanted to ask one thing, like how do you convince people? And maybe it's not convinced is not the right word, but since that's your primary role now, just raising money and this applies to even if yeah. you're just doing fix and flipping, you need money for that. How do you, how do you persuade or convince somebody that that real estate is the best, if not one of the best ways to invest their hard-earned money? Yeah, great question. And, and you, you, you already negated the question because you said convince. I don't convince anybody about anything, man. I really sure. don't. It's not about convincing. It's about just sharing people's choices. Hmm. What does an accredited investor have for a choice today? They can give their money to the same old stockbroker who's going to put it in the same funds that they don't put their own money in, right? And get the same return. They can run the roller coaster of the stock market. Or they can begin to educate themselves, bring themselves up that, that gradient into what's called AI alternative investments, which is where commercial real estate sits. And I just say to them, if you go and look at the, uh, the, the top 1% of the world, they all have a substantial amount of real estate in their portfolio. Whether you're looking at the Yale Endowment, Harvard Endowment, you're looking at our friend Warren Buffet, Amazon is probably one of the largest real estate owners uh, in, the, in the world today. They're doing something. And the question is, why don't you? And nine times out of 10, people say, well, I don't have the time to learn it. I don't have the capital to invest in it. And I never see the opportunities. 
Well, that's where we come in as a, as an operator, experienced operator. They can invest with us with as little as $100,000. They can do that through their self-directed retirement accounts. We always have a deal that they can put their capital in. We bring them up the education gradient so they understand what they're doing. Uh, and then they don't have to go out and find all the deals, manage the contractors, manage the tenants, manage. They don't have to do any of that. They're purely in a passive position. Um, and they come in as what's known as LP capital, limited partner capital. That capital fills the gap between the bank's money and the money to put the deal together. And, uh, you know, targeted returns can be quite substantial, quite substantial. I don't get out of bed for anything less than a 20% return on my money. And I don't understand why anybody else does. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the concept I have. And at the end of the day, brother, it's real simple. Maybe this isn't for you. It's okay. Because if it's not for you, it's, it's for 10 other people who are lined up. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. When do you think we'll get to the point where, you know, real estate marketing uh, in terms of like raising capital for private real estate investments will reach the awareness as you know, that, the typical stockbroker just said, because you turn on a TV, you see commercials for Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, oh, sure. companies like that, but you don't see, you don't see Dave on TV talking about, you know, invest in my fund. So will there ever be that, that point where there's, there's so much awareness for that? Have you been in my boardroom lately? You've been hanging out in my boardroom, young man, haven't you? No, I haven't. In, uh, yes, Is that one of your have. ideas? The... Is that where you're headed? <laughs> <laughs> we're about to pop. We're about to pop on that idea right now. We're bringing a fund to the market probably within the next three to four months um, that allows TV and uh, radio advertising for that pool of investors who have never seen this before. I've got some inroads with the uh, some of our re Republican news channels. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> but national, right? And um, it's absolutely time that. You know, the word gets out. I talk about myself as being a blue collar guy in a white collar world. The language of finance has, in my opinion, been intentionally confusing for way too freaking long, way too long. And I think, uh, I think the time has come that we need to, to clear it up, get some clarity on it, share the message, and in return, share, share the wealth, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not that guy who wants to fly around in a private jet and drive a Rolls Royce. I'm really not. I'm a steward of my investors' capital. Getting that message out is absolutely part of our mission. So it's kind of interesting you say that. I don't know if I can ever give Merrill Lynch a run for his money. He's been playing this game a little bit longer than I have. But <laughs> maybe my sons and my grandsons will start rattling the cages, you know, 30, 40, 50 years down the line from now. So we'll see. Yeah. And, you know, we could go a lot of ways with what that'll look like, you know, how, how you even go about advertising, you know, things you can or can't not say, but that is something that I thought about, you know, why, why can't real estate investors have that um, exposure out there? Because it they is a viable investment they, too. Yeah. It, it's just SEC compliance. That's all. That's mm -hmm. all it is. As soon as I put the, the 50,000, into um, a private placement memorandum and an egg of filing with the government, I can then share, you know, what my business model is with potential investors. I can do it in a radio ad. I can do it in a commercial. Maybe you've heard the NC, um, NCRIA commercials that have been out there. Hey, investors, are you looking for 10% return secured by real estate in your marketplace? Right. Um, that's what they're doing. Um, they spend anywhere between 200 and 250,000 a week in marketing spend. So if they're spending that kind of money, what are they bringing in in capital, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. But once you've got the capital in, it, it's no good just sitting still. It's got to go back out and go to work, 
So, um, you know, for us, it's having a, a solid profitable pipeline to deploy that capital on. So that's where, that's where we focus in our time. Yeah. That's something we didn't even mention when you have that amount of exposure and money coming in, you got to have the deal flow to to back it up and that could be pretty burdensome. So, well, well, great. Um, I also want to touch on, give me, give me a one minute overview of, do you think we're in a bubble or a boom right now, as far as real estate prices and where we're at? I told you I'd want to talk about the market analysis. You don't have yeah, to get out look, of your calculator. Look, here's here's <laughs> the thing, man. I've been I've been waiting for this stupidity to end for about eighteen months now, and it hasn't. Right? Um, if you ask me, Dave, do you want to do a single family buy, fix, and flip? My answer is a, an emphatic no, unless I'm still in the assets. Right? Um, this will change. I think it will change quite rapidly. We're all watching the data, days on market, right? Uh, the amount of inventory. We've only got three months when we should have six months. All of that's going on. When the true fallout from COVID is, is, is revealed, I think we're going to see some pretty, pretty serious changes. When the um, mortgage is no longer, um, when, when the bank steps up and says, hey, it's time to pay back all your arrearage that you haven't been paying. Uh, the moratoriums are beginning to be lifted now on rents. So when all of this dust settles and this money needs to be paid back, when the economic development uh, capital at um, two times your 2019 returns, right? When when a million-dollar loan goes to a business and the business says, I, I can't do it, but I took the money, well, that's going to create massive uh, mergers and acquisitions opportunities for businesses. Um, so look, is it tomorrow? No. Is it next year? Maybe. But just realize everybody's a genius when real estate goes straight up. It's mm. guys like myself and my team who have been through two or three market cycles uh, and been able to navigate through them um, is where, where you want to be focusing your attention. So I don't ever want to be doom and gloom. I'm, get, I'm glad things are ticking along. But I don't play in stupidity. I'm a contrarian investor. When everybody's going left, I ask the question, why? And then I look right just to see what's going on over there. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's my take on it, man. It can't keep on going the way it's going, right? Yeah. Yeah. And for a lot of listeners to the show who are young like I am and who, are, who have been kind of spoiled within the last few years, you know, you have to, mm. it's something I'm constantly thinking when I have you know, a lot of success, I'm thinking, well, how can I, how can I prepare for the worst here or, or, you know, beef up my reserves or, or what have you, whatever your strategy is to mitigate risk. Sure. sure. Well, Dave, uh, this last, very last portion of our show is called the triple threat. And we ask the same three questions, each guest, what's the app okay. resource or tool that has been the biggest game changer in your business? Microsoft teams has a, um, uh, a communicative app where we can um, upload documents, uh, stay in consistent contact. It's just a, it's a really great internal CRM that we get to uh, just talk with each other on. So my C-suite has one specific, you know, team function. Then there's one for my construction. There's one for my, my finance group. It's just been a really good tool for us to use. Well, I'm more of a Google person myself, so I won't I'll take forgive that personally. You. No, it's okay. <laughs> Dude, I just do what my 27-year-old chief operations officer tells me to do. Trust me. Yeah, there you go. What has been your biggest failure in the last year, and why do you think that happened? I think the biggest failure was running into the retail market thinking that it was easy to raise capital. Okay, Mm -hmm. It takes time, uh, even with a national recognized 
brand, if you will. It still takes time to educate and bring the uh, retail investor up the gradient. So for us, we, uh, we spend more time with institutional investors and family offices than we do retail. But at the same time, the retail investor deserves a shake at this game as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. So just, just perception, you know, what I thought was going to be one thing ended up being something else. And I like this last question. Our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial, lifestyle, or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to Dave? It's funny. The name of our company is Freedom Venture Investments. And uh, here's really what it is. It's the ability to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it, with whoever you want to do it with, right? I think that's the definition of freedom. You know, I look back in, in retrospect and I think about the amount of time that I actually worked, right? Trading time for money. And I was doing that so that I could spend time with the people that I loved, yet I was never with them because I was always working. There was, there was such, a, uh, such a challenge, an internal challenge with that. So for me, freedom is the ability to be present with my kids. I don't always get it right. You know, I've got an, uh, an 11-year-old and, and a 9-year-old son and a 27-year-old son. Uh, he's all set. I don't have to worry about him. But the 11-year-old and the 9-year-old, they still want Superman to, to be engaged with them. You know what I mean? Uh, there's always a, a day will come when they'll realize I'm not Superman, but hopefully they realize I'm a super dude. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, just being present with them. And, and, and also for my wife, I mean, Mary Beth, my wife is the rock uh, that I get to stand on so I can, I can look cool. You know what I mean? Without that foundation, I'm, I'm nothing. So being there for them is freedom for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, where can listeners learn more about you and your company? Uh, freedomventure.com, freedomventure.com. You can learn about us there. Um, just Google my name, Dave Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Uh, we're old school. People actually answer the phone here, 781-922-4418. Um, if you're motivated, you'll find us. You'll find us. Uh, we, we, we've been able to solve the problem of passive returns in a, uh, in a risk-averse environment. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are looking for that. And we've been able to solve that problem for many people. So if that's what you want, give us a shout. Perfect. Well, Dave, I think you have a great personality. You're funny. You've been on, you know, all the, you've been on such a good run here and I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and knowledge with everybody. You seem very, you're, you seem like you're an open book and I appreciate it. Yeah, that. dude, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review and tune in next week for the next episode.